Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into us in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Jordan Peele, uh, comedian, Key and Peele member uh, from such films as Keanu, ha- made a film two years ago called Get Out that came out in February and somehow survived an entire year to be nominated for Best Picture to, uh, to win Best Original Screenplay and... It, it was kind of insane. It was kind of crazy what what took place surrounding Get Out and kind of the fervor that uh, it inspired. Uh, he was also nominated for Best Director for Get Out, and uh, which also included uh, Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out getting nominated for Best Actor. It kind of came out of nowhere. It was a little bit of a surprise, and. It made a ton of money, it was really critically regarded, and uh, I really loved it. I, you know, I saw it twice. Um, I really enjoyed it the first time, and the second time I watched it, I, I enjoyed it even more. I think it's incredibly uh, important, and it has a lot to say, great themes, and uh, tells them incredibly, incredibly well. And now, just this past weekend, uh, Jordan Peele's sophomore directorial film uh, has come out called Us, and it also resides in the horror-slash-thriller genre uh, with some comedic elements. It also, you know, it also kind of has a, a really strong critical reaction to it. It's gotten a lot of good reviews out of uh, early screenings it did, uh, and even now has a very high score on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and so on. Uh, whether or not it, it hits the, the, the landscape, the cinematic landscape and the film communities as well, as much as it did with, as he did with Get Out, um, that's you know, that's uh, questionable. You know, not as easy to uh, see that now. You know, we're very early in its release, so its longevity is still in question. However, <clears throat> uh, today we're going to kind of talk about us. I don't expect to get into too many spoilers, maybe a few at the end, and there will be uh, an, a spoiler bumper when that happens, if that happens. Uh, but I do think you should... Everyone should check it out and see it, and uh, it isn't a you know it isn't a traditional horror film. It is, it really does straddle the line of horror and thriller. I would say that it's a little scarier than Get Out was. Uh, Get Out is definitely in the thriller arena, uh, where Us does use a lot more horror tropes, a lot more horror sensibilities uh, in in what it's doing. Um. But that said, uh, Us. What is Us? What is Us about? Uh, Us, as I mentioned, from director Jordan Peele, stars Lupita Nyong'o, Oscar winner from 12 Years a Slave, and uh, co-star of Black Panther, Winston Duke, 
also from Black Panther, uh, as well as Tim Heidecker, um, Elizabeth Moss, and, uh, and pretty much everyone else in the movie is unknown for the most part. Um, Kara Hayward uh, is in this movie. She is the main girl from Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, she plays uh, Nancy, who is a very minor character in the film. But other than that, most of these names aren't recognizable. So, so the film starts out with a family, Nyong'o, Duke, um, Evan Alex as, uh, and, and uh, Shahadi Wright Joseph. I believe those are the, yes. Uh, so the four of them are, play Adelaide, Gabe, Jason, and Zora, who are a nice little family. They are going on vacation up to a beach house. Uh, just to kind of get away and, and spend some time with their friends. Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker are, are friends of uh, Adelaide and Gabe's. And enjoy the beach. Enjoy the the, the time off and, and to unwind. And uh, as it turns out, um, one night they are approached and uh, attacked, I guess is an accurate word, by a group of people that look exactly like them. And that's pretty much all I was aware of going into this movie. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know what anything was supposed to represent or supposed to come across as or supposed to mean or anything else. I wasn't interested in learning more details about the film until I had seen it. And, and now that I have, I, I really have dug into a lot of reactions, a lot of reviews, a lot of in impressions that people had, and it really—it's a—it's a thick film. It is a very dense film, and I think uh, expecting to come out of this movie knowing what what you just saw, you know, without you know, definitively is is I think silly, um, and I would say most people would get a lot out of a second watch. I expect to see it a second time uh, at some point. I, I'm not sure when, uh, but probably not in theaters, uh, depending on you know the new releases coming out and how that works out with A-list, but uh, definitely a second time, uh, probably once it becomes available um, out here. So, uh, that said, um, <laughs> tough to talk about this kind of a movie without getting into spoilers, but looking at it from a performance standpoint, uh, I had heard prior to the film that a lot of people were comparing uh, Lupita Nyong'o with uh, Tony Collette from Hereditary as far as horror performances go, and that's um it's an interesting comparison the two are, are very different roles you know obviously Tony Collette plays a single character in in her film and Lupita Nyong'o plays dual roles in Us uh and so she does get to showcase a little more range in that sense uh but I I don't know I'm not sure I would quite put Nyong'o on Collette's level I do want to see Hereditary a second time, and I, I never got a chance to do that. 
this past year. So uh, that might be due for a rewatch to kind of reevaluate that comparison later on. But I do feel like I would uh, just give Tony Collette the, the, the smallest edge uh, over Nyong'o, uh, but but not to take anything away from Lupita's performance uh, as as Adelaide and her other for, other version of her. Uh, they, she is great. She is so great, and I think that performance will only become more and more layered uh, the more often I, the more um, the, uh, rewatching the film, as I think will the entire family. You know, Winston Duke. I was kind of unimpressed by him uh, on the initial watch. I think he's good, but I was expecting a little more. But I do think uh, I, I think most of that comes from the fact that. Uh, his alternative self is not in the film uh, as much as Lupita's is. I, I think he, he being a, more of a supporting role, doesn't get as much time to shine, doesn't get as much time to kind of spread out and, and express a lot of, a, a wider range of emotions. And I would extend that to both of the kids as well, uh, which which kind of leads me to my my main one of my main critiques of the film. Uh, you know, it's kind of inevitable that this is going to be compared to Get Out, just because both were directed by Jordan Peele, both are horror films, both feature uh, predominantly black actors in the main roles, uh, both are very symbolic and have pretty, you know, stringent themes. Um, so, in to, this will be, hopefully this is the only time I need to compare this movie to Get Out, but one of the things that I, I appreciated and, and really enjoyed about Get Out uh, was, you know, it's a very tight film. And I think it's able to do that because we're mostly funneling the film through Daniel Kaluuya's eyes. It is mostly from his perspective. We are mostly seeing things uh, in his uh, you know, in his story. And we don't have to spend a lot of time outside of him throughout the film. And if, in fact, the few scenes that we do get that aren't involving him uh, are invol uh, are just, you know, Lil Rel Howery, you know, for like 30 seconds being funny as a TSA agent. In Us, Peel has to balance four characters in this family um, who at many, many times throughout the film are split up and separated, either paired off um, with uh, mother and daughter and father and son, or just all four of them are in different places uh, in, in, the, in the film, and so on and so forth. I think there's a lot of reach that the film tries to get to, and I don't know that it quite succeeds i think that unravels the tightness of the film a little bit for me and i don't know that that necessarily affects everything uh i'm not sure i you know i'm not saying that that's like a domino effect that you know tumbles into the every part of the film and turns everything into every makes everything sloppier but it just especially in, in the moments where we are switching from you know, Winston Duke to Lupita Nyong'o to Evan Alex to Shahadi Wright Joseph. You know, we spend five, ten minutes away from, you know, the one we saw three times ago. 
you know, we see Winston Duke, and then it's like 10 minutes later before we see him again because we have to go check in with Evan Alex and what he's doing, and we got to go check in with Shahadi Ray Joseph and what she's doing and what Lupita Nyong'o's doing. And then maybe we go back to Shahadi, and maybe Evan, and then Lupita, and then finally we get back to Winston Duke, and so much time has passed, and he's in a completely different situation than he was before, which I don't have a problem with. I, I like that the film continues when we're not watching him, but because that happens, it does take... A few seconds like okay well how did he get into this situation now what you know i have to do the mental gymnastics to fill in those gaps while i'm watching more things unfold and it, it just slows down the processing and maybe that's intentional i don't know but <clears throat> I, I just it's something that i was happening for me in in this movie one thing that this kind of you know the the there's a moment relatively early on maybe half an hour into the movie where the four characters are split up you know about uh, individually um and there's a scene where we're we're focused on lupita and i think evan alex i think her son the son uh jason i think jason and, and adelaide are together and we can't see gabe winston duke's character but we can hear him off screen, uh, and I—that is something I really don't think happens enough in movies. You know, you get this splitting of focus in a film, even within a house, even you know. And when we're with one side of the the focus, we can't hear anything happening in the other side, and then we switch over to the other side, and we can't hear the first side. And sometimes that makes sense, you know, if they're talking low or, or whispering or, or tied up, bound, whatever it is, horror-type movie. But if they're screaming, and we can't hear them when we're in the other side because they've stopped screaming for who knows what reason, it, I don't know, it just it plays with your mind. But having, you know, hearing Winston Duke in the background uh, when we're watching... Gabe and or when we're watching Adelaide and Jason uh, in the actual scene I, I love that dynamic I love how it does a great job of unsettling you it does a great job of just slipping in these tiny elements that unnerve you and maybe you don't even know why because it, it just it's not something that I think I, I remember hearing a lot and seeing a lot and experiencing a lot in other horror movies and I really appreciated the, the decision to do that in this. Um, outside of our main family, we have Elizabeth Moss, Tim Heidecker, who play friends of, of the family. And uh, they aren't in the movie for too long. Uh, they are definitely, I think they're in like two-ish scenes, maybe three. One of them is pretty extended, but uh, they... I, uh, Tim Heidecker is is fine. He's he's whatever. Elizabeth Moss gets a little more, a lot more to do than he does, and she makes a, she utilizes it brilliantly. Um, there's a sequence of her in front of the mirror that I loved. Her up in the bedroom. I guess that entire mo mo uh, sequence in front of the mirror and otherwise, uh, her. Facial expressions, I, I really, really enjoyed in that scene. 
and I, I think she does a great job of, of embracing the role she's given. Uh, outside of those, though, uh, I guess the next most uh, important characters are uh, Anna Diop, 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 and uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, who played Mantis in uh, Aquaman. He was also in The Greatest Showman and Baywatch. Uh, they play the parents of a young Adelaide, and they're, again, not in the movie for too long. But there's one moment that I actually really liked from Yahya Abdul-Mateen, where they're speak he and his, his wife are speaking to, uh, you know, like a, a counselor, and he leaves, and in the process, he passes a young Adelaide who's playing in another room. We don't see Abdul-Mateen's face. We see, we see all of young Adelaide, you know, on the floor. And we see, you know, his calf, maybe a little up, maybe just above his knee uh, in the frame. And he reaches out and he, like, touches her. And he, you know, he, he doesn't say anything. He just kind of appraises her almost. I don't know. It's a very odd way to show this moment. But I really responded to it from from a filmmaking standpoint. You know, it says so much without a single word of dialogue about the relationship between Adelaide and her father, uh, about how they communicate with each other or lack thereof, about, you know, how that has kind of snowballed through the rest of her life and, and kind of outlined and defined her it really is pretty fascinating and I really did um, really did like that uh, but outside of that moment neither of them is really that impactful to the film overall and and that's kind of it like everybody else in the movie is just there just kind of background scenery and not that that's irrelevant or unimportant but they don't really get um, a big big role to, to do anything with uh, it's a horror film so it's got to sound good it's got a not not just sound effects but also the score and man us sounds great um, from you know if you've seen the trailer posters uh, the the golden scissors the golden shears man every time those come out it's you know you hear them you know the sound Pre, you know, uh, um, pre, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Not predates, but um, the sound, it, it kind of happens before you see them to the extent where you're just like, you hear the sound and you're like, oh shit. It, it becomes such a triggered response. Uh, and the, the, the impact of that sound, the impact of that imagery on the film going forward becomes very powerful and outside of the of the shears you have just you know there's a lot of um motors uh you know there's the the film uses a boat uh, a lot of cars uh you know we go spend time uh shahadi right joseph is uh runs track there's a scene where she's running 
down the road and like her feet on the ground. Um, a lot of the times when we're watching one of the characters um, engage with their alternative version, uh, you know, just noticing the difference in the movements of the two characters, noticing and then how that translates into the sounds that come out come from them, whether that's on their their feet falls, movements of their clothing rubbing against each other, the way they interact with their surroundings. There's a lot of subtle differences between the two that serves to not only heighten the suspense and tension and but also, you know, further push these others, you know, the 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 kind of mirror versions of the these characters into this this elevates them into this this very strange, very odd alternative plane of of existence you know it, it makes them when we watch them they don't do anything really uh that i can remember that feels fantastical you know they're not jumping 30 feet they're not you know running 50 miles an hour they're they're you know not contorting their body you know in, in unnatural ways but they are the soundscape around them serves to kind of create this this feeling like they're otherworldly and i think that is such a great way to communicate that difference i really appreciate that the score um the score slash soundtrack uh is great <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun you know you put uh i got five on it from the trailer is great song for this movie a lot of other great songs that I won't give away because they do kind of interact with the film itself. Uh, the score builds in a in a you know it, it, I, like one of the things I can I, I that frustrates me about some more conventional horror films is how much the score gives away. And I think if you you don't have a great um. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If you don't have a great composer creating your score, you know when when this when the music changes to imply danger, to imply terror, it kind of just comes across as okay, it's about to be a jump scare, or okay, watch out, he's behind the door, whatever, and. In this, and I would even compare this to say the the original Halloween, the very first one. You know, the the score does a great job when it when it kicks in when you when you know that something important, something scary, something thrilling is about to happen. It's not, oh hey look, it's you know this is what's going to take place. It's more of a, oh shit, you know it it, it functions the same way the the sound of that um, scissors. Sound of the sound of the shears works to you know pr you know predicate their appearance in the movie. The score serves as a way of introducing you to okay, this moment that you know you're taking a breath, stop, <laughs> hold your breath. Things are about to get crazy. Things are about to get wild, and it, it, it's it's a slower build up. It's not a loud, obnoxious 
all of a sudden things are about to happen. It's it's a slow thing. It's it's unsettling. It's it's creepy until you know that everything is creepy and then all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't need to be that slow build up anymore and it doesn't doesn't do that, you know. It functions as it needs to throughout the film depending on what's happening, depending on the circumstances. You know, I've seen films where, you know, we're an hour and a half in, there's like 20 minutes to go and the the score is working with the film to still try to pretend like okay there may or may not be a killer in the house question mark and then blah 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 the score kicks in and it's like oh my goodness he was hiding in the basement behind the stairs whatever this says okay you're an hour and a half in you know what's at stake already you know what's going on uh for the most part you you have an idea of you know what's at risk what the dangers are. I'm not going to tease you and try to convince you that there may or may not be a danger. There is. You know that. And I like that uh, quite a bit. I like how that translates uh, ultimately uh, throughout the film. Um, let's see. Um, the look of the film. So if you've seen the trailer, seen the previews, seen the, seen the posters, um, you might have seen the red outfits. Uh, those are, I'm not going to say like they themselves are, are scary and imposing, but the context of them within the film, I, I think, uh, uh, successfully communicates how, how easy it is for something so simple to be connected to something so terrifying. You know, I, I think there's a lot of movies where you take something very straightforward and something very innocuous and elevate it to the point where it scares the shit out of you. And not that I'm gonna, you know, if I see somebody in a, in a full red jumpsuit on the street, it's gonna necessarily, you know, make me like, oh, whoa. But I'm gonna think about it I can't not think about it anymore. Uh, you know, it it's just has to be something to associate now with that particular dress style of dress. You know, it, it's not it's not a coincidence that you know it, it is this it is the color of blood. It is the color of um, you know, just just. emotion and anger and fear it, it, it I don't know I, I like it you know it wouldn't it would not work if I don't think if the color was yellow and it's not a bright red it's a more of a dull red so when you first see these you know ever the the characters wearing it it's from a distance it's at nighttime they're kind of shrouded in darkness and the red doesn't pop through that darkness it but it you you can just see it. it it's very subtle and i think it's very successful in communicating okay this is um this is a thing this is a big deal this is this matters this is not a joke this is serious this is you know this is orchestrated this is this is planned this you know there's you know it's like 
you know, two people show up at a at a at the same place with the same color shirt on, you don't think anything of it. But a family wearing the all the same color jumpsuit, uh, you know, it, it matters. It it does communicate a far more grave danger than it would otherwise if it was something different. Um, and I I like that distinction. I, I like the way the film looks, you know, outside of the red, outside of that, uh, you know, this, the, the film does move around a lot, you know, it, it, it takes place in that main house, it takes, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of stuff in cars, at the beach, um, and it never feels like they weren't really in these places, and I'm not sure, you know, if any of this was shot, you know, with green screens, and how much of it was or wasn't, but it looks great for a film. There's a very there's an extended sequence toward the end of the film uh, that I really enjoyed um, watching because everything about this movie, that ending sequence included, not not the ending sequence, but but toward the end sequence. Uh, you know, it it really does come across as a as lived in. It takes place here. It, it can. You know, by not ever feeling fake or out of place, you're never concerned with, oh, this could never happen. But it could. It absolutely could. <laughs> you know, it, it's something that really does... The more real you make a threat, the scarier it becomes. And by using, you know, real human-type beings as the enemy, you know, beings that... You know, definitely have something strange about them and surrounding them, and an air of mystery to them. They still act like humans. They still they still operate like humans uh, by putting them uh, in in a world that feels real and a place that feels like you could go there and and see it all. It, it you know only serves to heighten that response to the threat and uh, that those are some of the best moments in um, some of the best moments I've had in in, in horror films in the past uh, what else do we got what else is there um, I don't know uh, I mentioned it's kind of funny uh, just like get out was get out has some humor in it us has some humor in it uh, I think a lot of that stems from Gabe. He is probably the the comedic relief character in a lot of ways, and Winston Duke's character. Um, I don't think this was funnier than Get Out, but I don't really remember a lot of the humor in Get Out either. I don't think either of them are really comedies. Uh, it's not the comedy in these movies is not you know this isn't. We're not trying to make you laugh every five minutes. We're trying to cut the tension every once in a while so that we can build it up again. We're trying to, you know, subvert your expectations with this laughter uh, because you're not sure how much of it you can laugh at, uh, not knowing what's coming next. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Us. I Again, I did have a couple of critiques of it. I still think it's a very, very good movie. Um, I have not rated it yet. I gave Get Out a 90. I'm looking at like a high 70s score for us right now. 
Uh, and again, subject to change when I get to it a second time. But um, yeah, I really liked it, and I really, uh, I, I really encourage everyone else to go out and check, go check it out because uh, it does have a lot to say. So I am going to do a little bit of spoilers, not a ton, just a little, and um, we'll get to that after this spoiler bumper. Don't ask too many questions. You don't want answers to. You don't like my direction. Hey, I won't follow you. If you've seen us, you know that there's a ton of crap to talk about, uh, spoiler-wise. But one of, the, and I'm not going to get into everything. I couldn't possibly get into everything. You know, it would take way too long, and I'm sure I would still forget stuff. Only one or one or two things I really wanted to touch on. Um, one thing that I really loved was. I, I love the the symbolism and the themes of classes. You know, whether that's rich or poor, whether that's white or black, whether that's, uh, you know, nature versus nurture, whatever, however you want to separate the two, the, the separation between the haves and the have-nots, the, the, the advantaged and the disadvantaged uh, between Adelaide and red or the tethered and real world. Uh, that was brilliant. I, I I love every so much about that. I think he does a great job of showing. Okay, um, the Adelaide we see in the movie, who is a tethered, uh, you know, strangles her, strangles herself uh, as a child, takes her spot, and Red, who is not, who is born a real human. Um, is it is now living under the ground with the rest of the tethered who is now part of their culture part of their world part of this below this beneath this this lesser group and watching the two of them battle for just on one side to to retain the status that was stolen to to defend against the world that she'd always wanted and was able to to get and on the other side to reclaim what was taken from her to to rise above this paltry station in life um but not just for herself but for all of the tethered you know there's there's so much to unpack there's so much going on and i really do think it takes if not, you know, a second watch, then a, a lengthy meditation on on what Jordan Peele is showing us to really get at the heart of what's going on in this movie. You know, when we get down into uh, the underground tethered world, it's really daunting and really challenging because, uh, as as is explained, you know, we watch as they kind of are forced to go through the same actions as their real-world counterparts. And when we first meet Red and she tells us what, you know, the story of herself and, and as a shadow, you know, forced to spend her life with Winston Duke's tethered counterpart because Adelaide married Gabe, forced to have two kids, uh, one by C-section. Uh, forced to do this, that, and the other. Forced, 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 forced. No free will. No uh, uh, ability to decide and make her own decisions. Everything dictated 
from her, from people above her station, you know, uh, lacking control over her body, you know, that is a very important issue as well. Like all of these things culminate and, uh, you know, I would kind of liken it in a way to something like Zootopia. Zootopia has a lot of things to say about class and race and discrimination. And I think when you break down the individual elements of Zootopia, I remember when it first came out, a lot of people were trying to pigeonhole it into black versus white or or just one thing versus another. And when you try to, when you impress upon predators in Zootopia as being representative of black people, it does not fit that mold, you know, from a thematic standpoint, which is, you know, which is, I think, incorrect to label it as such. I think Zootopia is a great film about prejudice and racism and so on because it doesn't it's not just you know one type of person being uh stereotyped and looked down on it's all types of people every you know Zootopia does a great job in my opinion of showing how every single group every single faction is looked down upon in some way and none of the groups in in zootopia are really analogous to to real world examples and i think us does a great job of showing the same thing you know you can't just ascribe one group to the tethered they are not that and i think the nature of the swap of red and adelaide only furthers that in in that message that they aren't just the poor income families. They can't just be non-white people. They cannot just be foreigners or, or uh, uh, you know, whoever you want to, whatever group you want to label them. They are all of these groups, and in various at various points throughout the film, they the us does such a good job of showing multi-layered, multifaceted, multi-sided looks at this disparity this this separation this this distinction and i think it does a really good job of that the other thing this flip side of that and this is more of a critique is uh, us plays really fast and loose with the rules of the tethered uh almost to the extent where we don't really know what they are um we're told that the tethered are forced to go through the actions of their counterparts we see that in action uh, when Adelaide, the tethered, is coming to the surface through the funhouse, we see her walking past other people who are literally going through the motions of what the other people, the real variations of themselves, are doing up, up in the world. Riding a roller coaster on you know, a theme park ride, eating, etc. And she is walking down this corridor taking the turns the same looks that um that red the real world variation is doing up up there and they finally meet and suddenly she's not restricted to mimicking red and I'm not sure why that is and if it's true i'm not sure why it's never been done before uh, or, or you know what what causes the distinct the the difference there? They swap places. Adelaide imprisons Red down in the tethered world. She handcuffs her and leaves. And eventually, 
uh, Red gets out for however however she does. And now Red is the one who is uh, mimicking Adelaide, the tethered in the real world. And so I'm not sure why that is, because if the tethered are shadows of the real world, does switching places with your shadow self turn you into the shadow? I don't know. Uh, and I think a lot of this, these elements, maybe they make sense if you look at them from a symbolic standpoint or a thematic standpoint and... and uh, that you know whether or not that's whether or not that's the case they do end up just creating so many questions about how things work and why things are the way they are and what they mean and, and why they don't follow a, uh, you know a set of rules and how that manifests itself and how was she able to convince everyone down below that they can do things that they're connected tether that the people they're tethered to aren't doing you know why is um adelaide's son able to you know walk backwards until his tethered self burns in the fire when you know uh, i don't know um you know it doesn't feel like any of the other family members are controlling their tethered selves the same way Sometimes it does, but not always, and, and it doesn't feel like there's a strict rule about that. And I, 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 I just, I, I, you defined a rule, and then you broke it, and I don't know why, and I think that's what kind of bothers me about it. So, I don't know, if you have an answer, I'd love to hear it. Um, but, or if that also bothered you, you know, we can commiserate. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Again, I do really enjoy us, and I do encourage others to see it. I will, again, likely be seeing it a second time in the future. If you would like to find more episodes of this podcast, you can find them in most places where podcasts can be found, including my website, circleoffilm.com, for that and many other things. If you'd like to follow me, find me, you can find me on Twitter at circleoffilm, letterboxd at circleoffilm, or uh, through email, circleoffilm at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show, uh, head over to iTunes, like, rate, review, subscribe. Anything you can do on iTunes helps out a lot. If you would like to support in other ways, you can head over to patreon.com slash circle of film uh, to support the show for as little as eight cents an episode. Uh, it's very easy. Thank you once more for listening to today's episode. It does mean a lot. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell. I'll be the same tonight. I know she'll never even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.